Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello. And welcome to the 400th episode of Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on mishaps with save the dates, thank you notes, and invitations in the mail. What to do with your 50-50 raffle ticket winnings at a charity event. Awkward office lunch times. And thanking people who write letters of recommendation for you. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, our question of the week is about telling your host you didn't attend because you didn't want to. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript where we revisit episode one's postscript titled Pinkies Out. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Dan Post-Senning. And I'm Lizzie Post. Happy 400th, cuz! Happy 400th, <laughs> happy spring day, happy welcome home, happy Mother's Day. Happy I know Mother's it's a day, day after for most people, but for us, it's Mother's Day. Exactly. <laughs> no, it's it's actually really exciting getting to episode 400. I mean, 365 was cool, right? Because you could do one one episode a day and, and listen for a whole year. But 400 um, definitely feels impactful. You know that I'm very excited about 500, but I'm I'm like... This is this is big. We got we got 400 episodes under our belt. We've been doing this a while. Somehow in the fours, that 500 number that's always been your sort of overly ambitious goal for this podcast, <laughs> it, it feels within striking distance. And it does. We were talking about that 365. You were the one that sort of brought my attention to the idea that that was a significant number because you could listen to a show a day for a year. And I thought that was really cool. And I was thinking about 400 saying to myself, oh, well, we just celebrated 365, but that's 35 weeks ago. That's I really, know. <laughs> it's amazing how time passes. It really is. It it really, really is. And I'll tell you, not that long ago, we were talking about how you were about to have a really crazy week doing the most travel you've done in two years in one, in like three days. I want to hear how did all of your adventures go? Oh, boy, I would love to tell stories and stories and stories, but our intros aren't that long. So I will, <laughs> I'll, I'll sum it up as best I can. It was just awesome to be yeah. out on the road again, to be face to face with people that I've I've been in dialogue with and have been doing good work with. But to really spend time with people again was just, for me, such a treat and such a treasure. And it's such an important part of the work that we do, that human connection, that it felt particularly invigorating to be feeling that connection as I was getting to deliver a lot of the messages that that we talk about on this show all the time and that 
I know you're so invested in and I'm so invested in. And to really be living that again was was just awesome. It was a, amazing to me how quickly it became very easy that it didn't feel awkward for very long. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. I'm so glad. It was definitely really cool catching up with you and, and kind of hearing that wonderful high that you get after you've done a successful event and, and you know that you've met the client or the, the partner's expectations and maybe even exceeded them. I dare to, to brag about my cousin's abilities to be a speaker. But it is such a such a great feeling of satisfaction and to to go through it and experience it after two years of really not doing that i can imagine was both impactful and very normal like like a real return to normal it absolutely was it was really exciting for me i i'll i'll give just a, a couple of details I, I got to travel within the course of four days from new york to seattle to do two very different events one was a a talk for a boys prep school. So I was talking to an audience of hundreds of teenage boys. That's awesome. And in, in, you know, very close to lower Manhattan, just right in the, the center of that New York world in a lot mm -hmm. of ways. And three days later, I found myself working with a, a very small leadership development program in Seattle, but sitting around a table with some, some very high functioning people talking about how to navigate that web of human relationships that define so many of our lives and so many of our careers and to really spend that time for many hours with such a small group and then to conclude it with two hours around a, a table sharing food and talking about dining etiquette. It was just a quintessential <laughs> etiquette experience. A true etiquette geek out. <laughs> Yeah, so I felt like I covered I covered the gamut both in terms of time and space and also material and audiences. It was um it was a, a trial by fire, a jump into the deep end of the etiquette pool to to reemerge to mix all my metaphors in into the world of human say, contact. You old pro, that wasn't a trial by fire. <laughs> but no, I'm I am really glad that you had such a great week. I know it was a big deal preparing for it and I was I was really excited when we talked on Friday night and that you were feeling stoked about everything and just like back on top. Here we go. <laughs> And home in time for Mother's Day. And home in time for Mother's Day. Well, a very big happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. We hope that you all got to enjoy a very special day. And I think that we should probably get going onto some questions so that we can go enjoy our Mother's Day with our mothers and the mothers in our lives. <laughs> I think that is a great idea. Let's, Let's do it. Do it. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses 
as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com, leave a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND, that's 802-858-5463, or you can reach us on social media on Twitter. We are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media post so that we know you want your question on the show. Our first question this week is about a mishap in the mail. Dear Lizzie and Dan, thank you for the humorous and insightful podcast. Thank you also to the Emily Post Institute for keeping the essence of etiquette alive. With this email, I hope to learn from you how to retain a laudable 1922 practice in 2022's landscape. When my husband and I had the joy of celebrating our first daughter's bat mitzvah this past September, we learned that numerous guests either did not receive the hard copy of the Save the Date announcement or the paper invitations. We either discovered or concluded that a significant number of the mailed invitations disappeared into the ether, never to have been returned to us despite a very prominent return address label. There was no apparent rhyme or reason to the lost invitations. Proximity to our home was not a guarantee of receipt. Our best guess is of the 192 invitations sent, discounting the Save the Date cards, more than 20 were never delivered. Wow. We only ever received one as return to sender for address not found, seven weeks after we sent the invitation. Hmm. And our cousins have resided in that home for 19 years. We consequently had to quickly pivot to a belt and suspenders approach and emailed invitations to all our guests who had yet to reply. Putting all of those hiccups aside, we insisted that our daughter handwrite her thank you notes and dutifully mail them via the United States Postal Service. To her credit, she accomplished the task some time ago. Several months later, and with the spring B'nai Mitzvah season underway, I have begun to hear similar horror stories from other parents whose invitations were also significantly delayed or never received by their guests at all. It has become evident that our dear USPS continues to struggle with reliability. In order to avoid our generous guests from being offended that they never received a thank you card, how do you feel about either our daughter or us sending a BCC email explaining the issue? If not, what other way do you suggest we convey to our guests that thank you notes were sent in a timely manner? I'm just so concerned that given the track record for invitation delivery, that the thank you notes were susceptible to the same mishap, and we would otherwise never know if they were received. Thank you in advance for your consideration of this issue and for any advice you may have. Sincerely, 
Male challenged mom. Male challenged mom. Thank you so much for this situation. Although very sorry that you're experiencing this um, uncertainty, unreliability with with delivering things via the mail. I think that's really frustrating. Um, but it's it really has my head going in a couple Ugh. different directions, cause and and I'm gonna map a couple out and then let's dig into them. But one of them is just the idea of do you? I, I'm yeah. totally on board with following up with an email to make sure that thank you notes got received and being able to explain it from a position of, hey, have actually heard of a lot of mail not being delivered and did want to really check in to make sure you received a thank you note from our daughter or whether that comes from the daughter. So there's the whole like go for it on the email thing that that I'm at least in the go for it camp. But then the question is, do you do BCC? Do you do from the kid from you? Me too. You know, I think there's there's a bunch of different detailed questions in there. But then the other thing it's got me thinking about is a, a little moment that we had the other day around the idea of sending a thank you or you're welcome or a sure thing to someone for an emailed thank you. And it's a slightly different topic. But right now it has me in the position wondering why the heck did we never develop a welcome note, a your welcome note, a note that says you're welcome, because then you would know that the thank you had been received. I mean, I guess no matter what note you're sending, there's always a chance it might not get through. And and because the interactions can't go back and forth for forever. But it does just bring me to that idea of when does that conversation end? What situations warrant being checked up upon to make sure that sort of the thanks or the invite or the save that or the something has been yeah. received and i guess as i even sit and think about it it just brings me to that place of there there will always be the chance that maybe a message didn't get communicated and we've got to have communication skills to lean upon to be able to deal with those situations i think that you're onto something there in that one of the great things about letter writing or sending something in the mail is also one of the challenges of it, which is that it's a bit of a leap of faith that you're sending these these messages yeah. out into the world, whatever form. And maybe it's the unreliable post office. Maybe it's somebody has lost their email password, or maybe it's that someone doesn't check their social DMs, whatever the medium of the communication is. It's never a hundred percent or a thousand percent. Yeah. So in some ways I think about making a decision about how how concerned I am, how much work I'm going to do to verify based on the seriousness of the message, how important it is to me that it's received and mm -hmm. an evaluation of the risk that it wasn't. And in this case, I think we have two of those things rising to a level where it clearly becomes worth the effort. One, we have a demonstrated failure of that system recently with this exact same group of people probably using a very similar group of addresses, if not identical addresses. And it's right. a thank you note that you really want people to receive. It's a significant life event and an important part of the host guest relationship around that whole event is, is that handwritten note of thanks and having put the time in to do it, having gotten yourself 95% of the way there, I think a little, a little verification check-in through a different medium makes so much sense. And in this case in particular, mm -hmm. Lizzie, what do you think of the BCC? I love it. I love the idea of, being, <laughs> and I'll just say what I think of it, that it's a perfect and appropriate use of BCC without revealing everybody that something's being sent to. You're able to distribute a message that 
is probably going to be very similar for most of those people. There, there might be one or two that you really want to personalize or customize that note. Maybe there's a group that didn't receive the invitation and they get slightly different language than the group that, you know, did receive the invitation. Maybe there's, mm -hmm. there's a couple of clusters, but I think even that's making a lot of effort doable. and is doable. I think that one, one note could also yeah. work very well. I think it's a good use of BCC. We hear about bad uses of it. I think this is a really good one. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself. I think too, that it's a good use of BCC. There's the the little part of my traditionalist brain, which does exist in my head, um, that, that says, Oh, Oh, but, but what about, you know, sending things to people individually, or would you want to phone call this in to uh -huh. check up on it? And, I think then the the realistic version of me comes out and says, I think a BCC email is just fine. I would make sure, though, that I'm writing to people who I know really use their email. If there are people on my list who I don't have emails for, those are the people I'm going to pick up the phone and do the same conversation, but via phone instead of email. For me, I think that if I'm going to be writing it on behalf of my child, or even if my child is writing it for themselves, I would mention that thank you notes had been sent out the week of or something like that. And g given that we've had so many issues with mail not being delivered, really wanted to make sure at this point that either you had received it or if you hadn't, that we can get you one because that's really important to us. And I think I would do it that way rather than going the route of maybe saying, and I'm, I don't know if Mail Challenged Mom was going to use this exact language, but the saying that the thank you notes were sent out in a timely manner, um, I think you can just use the the date, the rough date of when they were sent as opposed to kind of giving that nod towards the, the the good effort that the kid made. I don't know if that makes sense, but I want the focus to be on the people receiving the note rather than sort of the praising of the child for having done it in a timely manner. It's a really good thing, but outwardly, I think you want the focus to this group be on, did they get the note of appreciation that you're looking to make sure they get because you want to express that gratitude? I think that sounds good. And you sort of mapped out a very simple version of a sample script at the start of this answer that I thought was really good mm -hmm. right off the hip, Lizzie Post. And I can't remember it word for word <laughs> right now, but if we was. were to jump back, I, <laughs> I remember liking it when I heard it. There's one other thing that I want to mention before we wrap this answer, which is that I am so saddened to hear that this has been the experience that male challenged mom has had with the postal service. I know. I personally have always found them to be very reliable and dependable. That for the most part, yeah. if I get the correct address on something and I get it in the mail on time, I'm usually delighted to discover that it gets there, if not around the time I expect, usually a little before. And I would be really yeah. curious to hear if other listeners have had similar issues, whether it's something that maybe has happened more recently. I want to maybe offer some sort of late pandemic Cause. sort of rationale mm -hmm. and, and just I've got my fingers double crossed that this is something that can be sorted out over time. Maybe as we start to have more and more normalcy in our lives, or yeah. maybe it's something that's, that's specific to an area, to a particular region of the postal service, but those would be good things to know. And I appreciate getting a heads up that it's something you might want to think about if this is something that you really rely on and depend on. That checking in with a few people, being sure that things are being received, particularly among that closer circle where it's easier to get that kind of verification, might be something that's mm -hmm. worthwhile also. Just for right now, whenever you're sending something via the mail, it's a good point. 
Mail Challenge Mom, thank you so much for the question. We're sorry that a frustrating situation caused you to have to send it in, but we really do hope that you're able to cross-check with your guest list on those thank you notes and that all of those guests get to hear and experience the gratitude that you so clearly have for this wonderful life event that your daughter just went through. In good weather and in bad weather, the mailman brings us our mail. He always tries to be on time. He works quickly, for he knows where each piece of mail belongs. The mailman is friendly and helpful. Almost everybody likes him, for almost everybody likes to get mail. Our next question is titled, Cash for a Cause. Dear Dan and Lizzie, I hope you can shed some light on a favorite charity event practice. I've been to many charity events over the years that have a 50-50 raffle. At some, it's obvious that it's expected that if you win, you donate the winnings to the cause. At other events, the organizers immediately handed over an envelope to the winner, and it was obvious they were expected to keep the winnings. Is there any way to tell what the expectation is for a particular event? I'm always a bit nervous when they start drawing the winner and could use some reassurance. Kind regards. Tom. Tom, this is such a sweet question. It I is. I really appreciate the spirit that you're asking in. And I'm going to uh, just uh, rub my lapel here for just a second and say uh, yeah. you're talking to a 50-50 uh-huh. raffle winner. I was going to say. <laughs> at one of the great 50-50 events in the state of Vermont, the UVM hockey. I still can't believe you've won that. I mean, oh man, that's that's a big deal. This was immediately this brought up memories of 50-50 raffle and I've never won the raffle. I actually didn't know that you won the raffle. <laughs> I was young and I, I hope I don't get anyone in trouble for it because I was I was probably 14 or 15 years old when yeah, I yeah, yeah. when I won the raffle at the UVM hockey game and for me the experience was very much one of going to a a little room in sort of a facilities area where they handed me an envelope full of cash and (laughs) in my 14 year old mind this kind of question didn't occur to me and tom i really appreciate your bringing it to our attention because i think it's a it's a really generous thought and my my big picture thinking is that your winnings are your winnings and you Mm -hmm. get to decide what to do with them and if you are feeling inspired by the cause by the nature of the event by um, your ability to do that at that time in your life, I think it's a a really nice thing to think about donating those winnings back to the cause or the event that has hosted it. I don't think it's an expectation and I don't think anybody would look askance at you if you chose to go the other way with it. Mm-hmm. I really do think it's a personal choice and it might be true that there's a certain tradition or history of doing that within an organization, but I would Mm -hmm. also really hope that nobody would judge you for making a choice one way or the other, particularly if it wasn't a very clear part of the tradition or something that was clearly understood among all those who participate, that that was an expectation or a usual or common practice. 
Mm -hmm. For me, I think that Tom already seems to have a sense of whether it's really expected and obvious at the event. And I think if it was, then the donation would be made back towards the charity. But for something like what you experienced, Dan, where sure, we want to be supporting the men's UVM catamounts because we love them. Half of that money does go to that. And the other half, it really is supposed to be the fan taking it home and, and enjoying the wonderful glory of, of a story like the one that Dan gets Still gets being to told. Tell. 30 years later. Le- legendary in his life. And so I think that when you run into the situation where you're un- uncertain, I'd be tapping the people around me a little bit and just ask, hey, with this 50-50 raffle, is it is it, like, does the winner keep the money or is it expected that they give it back to the charity because it's a charity event? And I do think for me in my head, most charity events where it really is um, like a, a a big fundraiser type event, that sort of thing. I think that's that's when I'd be more inclined to give it back. But I do agree with Dan that because it's a 50-50 raffle, it really should be up to the choice of the person who received the winnings. But it is more likely at a, a full solely fundraising event than something like a sporting event where it's just a, a part of what they do that you would give it back. I like that distinction, Lizzie Post. If everybody there purchasing the tickets are all there particularly in support of a cause or if they're all part of the fundraising effort, it it does feel a little different in some way than an event where maybe there's a general public crowd that's trying to be enticed into, into supporting a cause or a charity with the, enticement of maybe keeping some winnings exactly exactly yeah because like never once at the uvm games did i think any of the people who won 50 50 would give their winnings to the team or to the the organization you know that support the booster organization that supports the team but at a charity event i could totally see that being the thing (laughs) like yeah i think that regardless of whether you're going to donate it back or you're going to keep those winnings that good etiquette dictates that you are gracious in receiving them that you thank the people that set the event up and are delivering you your winnings i think that being appreciative and and humble is something that that we can all agree is a good way to approach that moment and that experience and that also etiquette podcast host example aside not gloating or rubbing (laughs) the people who didn't win's nose in the fact that you are the winner being circumspect in that moment is is also something that's well worth thinking about Tom, thank you so much for the question, and good luck at your next 50-50 raffle. Gambling is America's number one money-making business, with an estimated profit of an incredible $6 billion. Even more startling is the fact that these profits exceed those of the 100 largest manufacturing concerns in the United States. They realize that to keep a better coming back for more, he must win occasionally. Our next question is about office lunch dilemmas. Hi, Awesome Etiquette team. Thank you for the wonderful podcast and helping us all be more courteous and thoughtful in our daily lives. Listening every week has really made a difference in how I approach my interactions with others. I'm hoping you can help me with an ongoing issue I've been having at my office. I work in a friendly workplace with 75 to 100 people in our office on any given day. The vast majority of the people, more than 90%, work in Department A. I work in Department B. There's tons of overlap between these departments, and members from each are friendly and frequently help each other out on projects or do activities outside of work. My issue arises at lunchtime. Twice a week, 
there's a nice catered lunch brought into the office. However, this catered food is very specifically for Department A. When I first started at the office, I helped myself to the food and was informed rather harshly by one of the managers that the catered lunch is for members of Department A only. She firmly explained that they try to order only enough for their department and that the cost comes out of their yearly departmental budget. I completely understand why they only want Department A eating the catered food, and I have no desire to be berated again. I tried turning to the other members of Department B to see what they do on catered lunch days, but no one has a good solution other than just eat the catered lunch. I'm not comfortable eating food that isn't mine, and that could get me in trouble. Most members of Department A either don't know this or don't see why it's an issue. Almost every week, someone asks me, Did you try the soup? It was so good. Or, Hey, the lunch is here. Come grab some with us. Responding to these very well-meaning remarks with, I'm not allowed to eat that, or, No, that's only for your department, feels rude, and most certainly not in the spirit of a well-intentioned lunch invitation. Do you have any sample scripts or advice for how to manage my next day of catered lunch? Thank you in advance for any advice you can give. Montgomery. Oh, Montgomery. I just have to say, and maybe I'm not being respectful of department budgets, but I think this is a little silly. Like when you've got 90% of a company in in one department and you're talking about only having to feed like another 10%, I don't know, maybe that is too many people, but but he's saying like Montgomery, excuse me, is saying between 75 and 100 people like 10% of that isn't that many more mouths to feed, I feel like. I'm I'm going to take a moment and just be a little judgy. I feel like this is a little silly, like that this company needs to just do lunch for the whole company. But that's that's me inserting an answer on a question that wasn't asked. <laughs> like I can only imagine what the discussion was between the managers oh, that right? preceded this particular <laughs> calling out of someone from Department B. I can just imagine, well... Maybe you could all chip in from some of your department budget and we have it for everyone. And the answer being no. And then that <laughs> cascading like, down the, the chain. Anyway, that, that, that's where my like, imagination goes. It's where like the beration comes. Like, exactly. <laughs> feel for you, Montgomery. In other words, feel for you. This is an awkward situation. Dan, as I was thinking about this question, I felt like the, the quickest answer I could come up with that might make you feel comfortable is make sure to bring in a bagged lunch on those days. And when somebody calls you to say like, hey, come have lunch with us, just bring your bagged lunch and eat that with them. And whether or not you choose to identify the fact that this food is only for Department A to the Department A people is up to you. I wouldn't have too much of a problem with it because it's not their fault this is happening. And I think you could deliver yeah. it in a way that just makes people aware. Be like, oh, you know what? I learned that is specifically for Department A, but let me grab my bag lunch and I'll meet you over there. You know, if you're not using it as a like, well, that's only for you guys. You know, even if your blame is on the people who've set this up with that attitude, I think that attitude would be the wrong way to go about it. But if it's more of a casual like, oh, you know, I didn't I didn't try it. It's actually for Department A when that question about how good the soup was came up or something like that. I think it's fine. What I'm more interested in, cousin, is the Department B people who are getting away with eating the food and not getting berated. Like, I, I'd be more curious about asking them how they do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> 
let's see, Post, you are the Department B that get away with this, and I am the Department B that get called out. You always get invited to the group lunches with every other business in our office building, and I'm it's the one who just... because I actually eat it! You're too scared to eat it! Well, and I just feel uncomfortable about the whole yeah. thing. and Like the borrowing or the, the taking advantage of it. Yeah, I take advantage of it when they offer. I would say you're just a gregarious and generous social person, and people love it when you come have lunch with them it's i want to say it's not fair because it's totally fair but it sometimes feels not fair but (laughs) they love eating with you too the days that you actually joined were big damn days (laughs) i'm sure but i'm also learning something from your answer and i think that you're so right about it being the tone and spirit that you approach this whole thing with i was thinking about the sample scripts that are provided here that i'm not allowed to eat that or no Mm -hmm. that's only for your department the I'm not allowed to eat that feels like a sample script that would be hard to make work. It feels I like it's so a, a calling out. Of... It reminds me of when my niece sticks her lower lip out and pouts about a truth, you know, and I'm just like, I got you, kid. I got you. I hear you. <laughs> and when I look at the words, no, that's only for your department. I feel like I could hear that two very different ways. And yeah. the way that you introduce the idea that your tone is just so important, the emotional content that you bring to that reply if it's easy and you've got somewhere else to go in your mind and with someone else afterwards, like, oh, but I'll, I'll grab my lunch and I'll come join you. No, that's only for your department. C- could actually be, a, I think, a workable sample script. But no, that's only for your department. I, I, I have a hard time even saying it with any totally. <laughs> vitriol, but I, I think it could it could come across like that also. I feel like another one is if someone were to ask you, hey, how come you're not eating? the the food the catered lunch today that's another one where i'd feel confident being open but not specific about why i say boy you know the one time i did i actually got told by a manager i wouldn't say my manager or the manager or list a specific person that i i really wasn't supposed to so i've been careful to bring in a bag lunch on catered lunch days and that like just again without blaming the exact person who berated you Let someone know, hey, no, I actually got in trouble the last time I did that because what I do worry about is people from Department A being like, oh, come on, I'll go up and get it for you. You know, something like that. It just feels Mm -hmm. a little too like that. And I might I might feel the need to let people know, hey, I I was really told not to. So I'm going to listen to that. But I'd really like to (laughs) sit down and have lunch with you. You know, obviously, the last part isn't naturally how you'd say it, but. The other thing that I would also mention on this question is I wouldn't feel too bad about this if I was Montgomery. The office kitchen and the sharing of food at work is one of the most common places people run into etiquette issues at work, even when it's not a catered lunch, when it's the the shared coffee and who overuses it. Guilty. Dan raises his hand. You can't see it because it's a podcast. Or... Who leaves dishes in the sink or uses too much space in the refrigerator or doesn't label the stuff in the refrigerator. There are so many issues that emerge around sharing food, shared kitchen spaces, lunchtime at work. And I would very comfortably, if I was Montgomery, put this issue in that category, that silo and say, you know, these things happen and it's really not that big a deal. And maybe that can help reduce some of the tension and the the emotion around it and make it easier to deliver that information that you're talking about lizzie that no i'm really not supposed to do that and thanks for the offer i appreciate your willingness to grab me something but i i'm more comfortable if i don't i like that with a tone that's easy and not not hurt and not judgmental 
Much like when you're declining just about anything, moving forward to a good point of contact or connection between you and this other person is a great way to go. So that like the the whole like, let me grab my lunch and I'll sit down with you gets us to that and I'll sit down with you, which is the point of connection you really want to be making. Montgomery, definitely an awkward situation, no doubt about it, but we have confidence that you're going to be able to handle this gracefully, and we hope you enjoy many a wonderful lunch with your Department A co-workers. But now everything is ready, and we can be certain that each guest will be fully aware not only of the food, but of the attractiveness and convenience of the table arrangement. The table arrangement will be seen in itself as a gesture of consideration for the guest. And here is the soul of etiquette, the proof of courtesy and friendliness. Our next question is titled, Recognition for Recommendations. Hello, I asked for a letter of recommendation from a high school teacher and wanted to know the appropriate way to show my appreciation. Do you have any advice? Thank you, Anonymous. Anonymous, thank you so much for the question, and I'm going to hijack the answer to use for my own <laughs> personal purposes for just a minute. You've been needing some recommendation, recommendations lately, Gus? No, it's even, it's, it's even worse than that. I want to thank William Altman, who was a history teacher and a, a mentor for me in high school, who had a big impact on my life. And one of the things that he did for many of his students was write a special letter of recommendation for the school that you most wanted to go to. And he was famous for his letters of recommendation. He would really invest in them and he oh, wow. would talk about you in ways that were different than you would generally talk about a student in a recommendation when you're doing a lot of this and teachers do a lot of this. But I have saved in my life the moment where I will go to the college that I ended up going to. I think his letter of recommendation really helped me get in <laughs> and I know it's on file there and at some point I want to go read it. But I was thinking about that the other day before we even got this question. In. <laughs> and there is a very slim chance that William Altman listens to this podcast. And I want to thank him for being a mentor in my life and for writing that letter of recommendation. And I want him to know that someday I look forward to going and reading it and having that bring me back in time to that time in my life and some of those relationships that were so important to me then. And did you write him a thank you note back then? I did not. I wish I so was. So anonymous. The answer to this question is <laughs> 25 years later when you've started a podcast and it's been going for like eight years and you're at episode 400. That's when you thank them. <laughs> okay. 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 So that's not the best way to go, but you're, you're getting us back to the good answer that we have to give anonymous, which is definitely thank them um, in person. Totally. Don't ever um, forget the power of your words and the power of that in-person thank you. And that I definitely did do for Mr. <laughs> Allman. You guys got that? Dan wrote the answer for himself today. No, I'm just kidding. Cause... But if I could go back and yeah. advise myself, I would definitely yeah. say jot William Altman a little note and thank him totally. for making that effort on your behalf, particularly because I knew that he had made a special effort for that particular yeah. letter. Yeah. I also think that, correct me if I'm wrong, but for me anyway, in my life, when it comes to the kids that I might be mentors to, or when it's that kind of uh, like an adult kid relationship, I often find words to be the most powerful. Like my niece or nephew, it does not matter what they get me for my birthday or Christmas, which we celebrate. 
it's like they honestly it's the the sweetest moments when they say like thank you Aunt Cisa or whatever it is you know what I mean that that mean the most to me or when they tell me that they really enjoyed doing something with me yeah and I think that is really true um I think a gift would be less expected or appropriate as a way to show the appreciation not that it, it couldn't also be nice to give something small but like I don't think this is like a buy them a beautiful pen type of a situation. I think a thank you note and that in-person thank you that Dan described, I think those could really, really make a difference. And obviously you could, you can say thank you when they accept the, the task to write the recommendation for you. And that might be your in-person. Thank you, boy. Thank you so much. That really means a lot to me. And you know, I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you again. And then when they actually write the letter and I forget whether you get to see what's in the letter or not. Um, but sometimes if you do, yes, sometimes no. Sometimes yes, sometimes yes. So if you get to you, you know, in your note, you can compliment how great the letter was. If you don't get the chance to to read the letter, then in your note, uh, you can just simply say how how much it meant to you. There's a debate about whether you wait until you get your acceptances. I think give, I think give the note as the thank you, and then do a follow up. You know, if if you. No, you would still be in school with them because we're going to college. So yeah, I would definitely do a follow up with this teacher if you get into the school and you and especially if you decide to go. But sharing that moment of thank you so much and then the exciting follow up of of what happened. And if you didn't get in, I think, you know, touching base is still fine and saying, you know, boy, I didn't get in. But I, I know your letter of recommendation was was really wonderful. And I really appreciate that. I think that's also a really grown up gracious way to go about it. Absolutely. We often say send thank you notes after a job interview. And I think an important addition to that is whether you get the job or not, that you're really thanking the person for taking the time to interview you, or in this case, writing that letter on your behalf. And it's, it's really nice when you get to deliver some, some really happy news with that. But it's not essential in in terms of the gratitude that you're expressing. Anonymous, congratulations on graduating high school and getting to this next step in life. We hope that all of your applications come back with lots of opportunities for you to attend the school or schools of your dream. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are awesomeetiquette. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. If you're enjoying Awesome Etiquette, please come on over to Patreon and consider becoming a sustaining member of the podcast. You can do this at patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. You'll get an ads free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content, which include live calls with Dan and myself. Plus, you'll feel great knowing that you help to keep awesome etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you so much for your support. It's time for our feedback segment, where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Today, we have feedback from Beth on episode 399 and tipping tour guides. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. Long time since dinner party download days listener. 
I wanted to react a bit to the question about tipping tour hosts. As a frequent business and leisure traveler pre-COVID and starting again now, I rely a lot on services for many folks on my journeys. Tour guides, taxi drivers, concierge, bell people, servers at many kinds of places, delivery folks, bartenders, etc. I have started always having cash on hand specifically for tipping. I bring whatever amount of cash I think I need in fives so I can do a smaller or a larger tip depending. Since returning to travel, I find this even more useful. While I do tip online when paying with a credit card, I also add cash directly to the person, especially at chain hotels and restaurants and tour companies. I have learned that servers and guides do not always actually receive tips that are allocated. Side note, I save all fives throughout the year in a jar, but also do a specific bank withdrawal. It makes me feel good to always have that cash on hand to show appreciation in the moment. In any case, I would be absolutely mortified to ask someone I was tipping for change. I was so surprised to hear your advice that the guide should have cash on hand. I do always take cards from people and follow up with reviews and notes of gratitude when I get home, so I love the idea of a business card with a PayPal or QR code, how to leave a review, etc. I wish more folks like tour guides, massage therapists at resorts, and others did this. I keep these as mementos and also to refer to if I go back to the location. Thanks much, Beth. Beth, thank you so much for the feedback. And it is a good idea to prep yourself before you go out with all with all kinds of cash. I know that before I was headed down to that dispensary uh, for the talk, I grabbed the wad of ones from similarly, I have a jar that I keep like, uh, like sort of the cash that comes through my day, which has not been much during COVID in this like jar in my kitchen. And I just grabbed like all the ones and ran out the door to get back on the road on time. But it does make a make a difference to have them there. I'll tell you, Lizzie, that cash at home jar also comes in handy with that surprise tip that you might have to give someone at home periodically. We had a delivery of pellets for our pellet stove the other day, and it was oh. so handy to have a little bit of small cash on hand when they helped unload a whole pallet of pellets into our garage. Beth, thank you so much for the feedback. We really appreciate it. And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we're going back to the beginning because at episode 400, I'm taking us back to episode one where we discussed pinkies out in the very first postscript of this show. What did we talk about? Do you remember? Did you go back I and do. listen? <laughs> I do. I went back and listened and it was kind of funny hearing young versions of us. But we, we did the very first postscript that we did was about pinkies out. And we did it because so often people associate this affectatious gesture with etiquette and being proper and, you know, back straight, speak 
politely and all this stuff. And it's it's so both annoying and comical. We have an illustration of Emily that was done and there she's doing all these incorrect things. And we love the fact that one of the incorrect things she's doing in the cartoon of her is that her pinky is out. She also has bare feet, I think, up on her desk. Um, unkept hair. Unkempt hair. Yeah. I mean, it's like the it's, shades it's, are drawn. It's the conceit. It's really quite right? fun. <laughs> but I feel like the pinkies out is such a visual association with etiquette and the world of being polite. Um, often, if we do get asked to do a photo shoot, they want some kind of a pinkies out shot, which we occasionally refuse. But it's interesting what I loved about going back and listening, because obviously, I've, I mean, I've forgotten what we did five episodes ago, definitely forgotten what we did episode one. And I loved hearing, Dan, that you actually had like a history for Pinkies Out and that we kind of like start off by knocking down that, you know, people suggest it's to balance the teacup. But like how how much does that one little pinky really balance out the weight of the teacup that's being held gently by its handle? Um, there's the idea that there's no room on the teacup handle for the, the pinky to fit. And we kind of blow through that because you can easily just rest your pinky against the rest of your fingers. It doesn't have to fit on the tiny little teacup handle. But you you came in teaching us that it was really about the transition out of the Middle Ages from a time where we were using um, ladles and often eating with our hands or a communal spoon to eating bite-sized pieces of food, to being able to show the sophistication that our food was cut for us and that it was actually about keeping your pinky and your ring finger clean and different from the fingers that you might pick up a piece of meat with and that you might like hold hold your glass using your your thumb and your your pinky and your ring finger as a and leaving the other two which touch more greasy foods or something off it was it was really interesting to hear that there was a place for it but it very quickly exited history as being the thing to do. And it became affectatious very quickly because it was sort of like a signal to and an attachment to an old tradition that no longer had function. Mm -hmm. And so it was like it became the like very quickly associated as like a sign of snobbery or a sign of an unwillingness to move with the times. I I remember more clearly as you walk me through it it's 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 amazing how it brings back to my <laughs> mind that research that was done 400 episodes ago and and how much that research supports the impression that i have mm. of that gesture today as you raise this as a potential topic for our postscript the the thing that i was thinking that i that i wanted to say about it today was that it remains such an iconic image for etiquette i think precisely because it weds Two sides of etiquette that are very real for people and mm -hmm. the, the side that's about things that we really care about, something like yeah. a tea service that's a, a, a ritual that, that matters to people, that has significance, that people enjoy. And that at the same time, for many people, etiquette has a lot of negative associations and connotations, that it is about snobbery or judgment or exclusivity exclusive, and, and artificiality, that there's something yeah. just put on and affected about it all that, that's unnecessary. And secret codes to have in, in, in one very visual image, these two things coming together, one, the, the sharing of hot tea, a delightful experience with something very affected, something much less delightful. 
-hmm. In some ways, it's an appropriate image for etiquette. And obviously, on this show, we really, we really skew towards the consideration, the respect, the honesty, the parts of etiquette that we care about, that we think are important and valuable and worth maintaining. And we have to put people first and that sort of thing. Yeah. Exactly. And for all those reasons, we say, you know, br bring that pinky in, tuck it in. And <laughs> it's still just, but it's such an evocative image. And thank you for reminding me of some of the history. I remember the, the, the Visser research. We, as everyone knows, <laughs> love Visser on this show and her descriptions of those very elaborate eating protocols where you would use the different fingers for the different foods that were served in the the earliest days of the development of modern tableware. Well, because 400 episodes later, we can still say that pinkies out is not considered technically polite, that it, it is affectatious still, that it's it's not the way to go. It's not it's not necessary by any means. And I would say that I, I would be surprised if 400 episodes later, we would we would say anything different. <laughs> I think that pinkies out are going to be is going to be an out trend for a long time to come. <laughs> Lizzie Post, I'll make a deal with you. If we get to episode 800, we'll go back and listen to episode one together. And we'll also listen to this episode together to see how much things have changed. You pinky swear on that? I do. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, audience, thank you so much for joining us for a 400th postscript. We certainly hope that we're going to make it 400 more. Barbara knows the girls are fearful because they have never attended a tea before. Actually, there is nothing to be afraid of. The girls are enjoying themselves. Their fears are gone. They can look forward with pleasure to other parties. Each of the girls has learned for herself the real meaning of etiquette. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. And today, we have a salute from Dan and me to all of you. We want to take a minute to thank our wonderful, incredible audience for sticking with us, whether this is your first time joining Awesome Etiquette Welcome or whether you have been with us since before we even had a show and were making appearances on the Dinner Party Download, often referred to as the Dinner Party Download Days on this podcast. We are so grateful for the opportunity to be able to sit at the mic each week and to hear the questions that you ask, the feedback that you give, your interest in etiquette topics through our postscripts, and of course, to hear your most wonderful etiquette salutes that are proof positive that etiquette does exist out in the world. And I am just, I am so grateful that we are at episode 400 because I think it's really, really remarkable and incredible. And I think back to audience members who have been memorable over the years, whether that's because they've written in frequently or whether because they um, asked a really stunning, intricate question or had a beautiful salute or some really great thought that might have even helped us change the advice we give in the future. It's pretty incredible that this show has has gone on for 400 episodes, and I am so grateful to everyone who has made that happen, and that certainly in no small part is our audience. Was you and I used to sit around our offices at South Union Street and mm -hmm. talk about wanting to do a show like this. We would talk mm -hmm. about how the conversations that you and I got to have 
sitting around that office were so much fun. And that if people could just see what that side of work at Emily Post was like, they would not have images of pinkies in the air and <laughs> stuffy uptight people that I think you and I firmly believe that consideration, respect, and honesty are important to a great, great, great many people. And that the more we can talk about that and share that and build a discussion and a community around those ideas and those principles and discussions that honor those things, that that would have value and that that would be something worth sharing. And to find an audience that agrees with us, I think has been a real treasure has been an experience in my life that I really value. And we used to say on the show all the time, thank you so much. There would be no show without you to you, our audience. And I want to say that again today. Thank you so much. Without you, there would be no awesome etiquette. And I think that there is a place in this world for awesome etiquette. I think it's something that we can all use. And I really appreciate 400 episodes. So thank you so, so, so much. Thank you, audience. And thank you, audience, for listening today. <laughs> and thank you to everyone who sent us something and everyone who supports us on Patreon. Please connect with us and share this show with friends, family, coworkers, someone you just met on the bus or walking down the street, however you like to share podcasts. You can send us your next question, feedback, or salute by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member of our podcast by visiting patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please do consider leaving us a review. It helps our show ranking, which helps more people to find awesome etiquette. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks Chris, Chris and, and Bridget. Bridget.